1 John 2, verses 12 to 17. Uh, we've been walking through at Readville through the epistle of John, and, and one of the things that uh, I want to give to you by way of a little bit of context here before we get going is that John actually gives his stated purpose to the, to the Christians to whom he's writing, presumably in Asia Minor, uh, in, the, in the latter part of the first century. There had been some rumblings going around in the church of this group of people called the Gnostics. They were uh, believing that they could have some sort of secret knowledge uh, to achieve divinity or knowledge of God or or anything like that. And um, one of the aspects to this group was that they were saying that it didn't really matter how you lived your life uh, as it relates to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, your salvation in Him and the like. And so this, this idea that you, you see throughout the gospel of, or the uh, epistle of 1 John is of walking in the light, having fellowship with the light and not with darkness. And for a lot of these Christians, they were perplexed, they were troubled, they were uh, nervous even because it seems as though some of them had once professed faith and no longer. Uh, it seems as though that some were teaching that you could have faith in Christ and, and just also claim to have some sort of perfectionism, like you, you didn't, were no longer a sinner nor could you sin. And so this rattled the assurance of the Christians to whom he's writing. And in chapter 2, he gives three tests of that assurance. Uh, one test in verse 3 to uh, 6, a test of, of obedience. In 7 to 11, there's a test of love. And then in 18 to uh, 27, it's a test of sound doctrine. But the passage that we'll be dealing with tonight in chapter 2 verses 12 to 17 is uh, comes as something of an excursion. It's like a break in the middle of his uh, uh, what reads almost like a sermon in many ways. It's a break in the middle of it to sort of remind them at some level that they can indeed lead and live the Christian life. So I'll be reading in uh, from verse 12 to 17 before we uh, get going. So, First John chapter two, verse twelve to seventeen. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, we thank you for this, your word, and we pray that 
uh, what we are not, you will make us. What we have not, you will give us. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you will bless us and encourage us by your word. And we ask all these things in Christ's dear name. Amen. I'm sure many of you at one time in your life was learning something new, learning how to do something new. Uh, for, for me, for myself, and I'm sure for a lot of you, you've probably learned how to ride a bike at one point, or you've learned how to drive a car at another point in your life. And uh, there's always that little bit of fear in you when you're, when you're riding the bike and your dad or your mom ends up like letting go of the wheels or letting go of the handles, and they see you running down the sidewalk <laughs> in your bike, or even the fear that you may have or your parents may have when they turn you loose and let you take the car out uh, for a Friday night hangout with your friends, uh, that was probably nerve-wracking on them as much as it was likely on you. But the point of the matter is what you, what you find out in those moments, learning how to ride the bike, learning how to drive the car, you, over a period of time and at least on your first time as you go out, you look, realize, you know, man, I can do this. Well, at some level, that's what's being addressed here in this text. As I mentioned before, the, the passage that we're dealing with comes in the middle of a discourse that John has as far as encouraging Christians to live the Christian life, how they might have some sort of test or assurance of it, and how here he's reminding them that they are able indeed to live the Christian life. And so... Of course, we know that any time we uh, profess faith in Christ, have salvation in his name, uh, the, as we come to the Lord Christ by faith, it's always by the enablement of his Holy Spirit. And so even as we live the Christian life, we know that it is by an enablement of his spirit. And so when we look at this text tonight, we're going to see how the Lord enables you to live in a world you should not love. The Lord enables you to live in a world you should not love. Now, as we go through the exposition, I'll explain what I mean by that latter bit. And so we'll unpack this teaching in two ways. In verses 12 to 14, we'll unpack it and say, know that the Lord helps you live. And second, do not love the world in verses 15 to 17. Know the Lord helps you and do not love the world. So let's look again at verses 12 to 14. It presents us with, in verse 12, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Uh, verses 12 to 14 introduce something, you, you might call it a, a, something like a triad. Uh, he's not really saying anything particularly new. He might say it in uh, different ways in both sections, but nonetheless, he's addressing uh, three different types of people in the church to whom he's writing with the same degree of emphasis. He says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. And he comes back at the end of verse 13, I write to you, children, because you know the Father. You can almost read these, these, uh, this sort of triad, as it were, as almost parallel. You could say it's because you know the Father, and it's because, uh, or at least I'm writing to you, because your sins are forgiven, because having known that your sins are forgiven, you know the Father. The whole point of eternal life is that we know the Father and Jesus Christ whom he sent, 
And we know the Lord Jesus Christ by what he has done on the cross in forgiving our sins for his name's sake. So he's sort of reading these things almost sort of parallel. But we can see here, uh, but what we need to understand here is who it is to whom he's writing. He's writing to little children. He's writing to fathers. He's writing to young men. Now, you might think, it's like, well, is he writing to literal children, writing, writing to literal fathers, or writing to literal young men? Well, I'm sure he is at some level, but really he's, he's trying to draw this sort of uh, parallel to, to address different types of Christians within the church to whom he's writing. You know, uh, the little children is a term of endearment that, he, that runs itself throughout the entirety of the epistle. And the, the, the little children to whom he's writing that we also see in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. It highlights his pastoral concern for his audience. It highlights his care for Christians who are probably new in the faith, immature in the faith, and who themselves probably at some point or time early on, as many of you may have, struggle with assurance of salvation. And he says, I'm writing to you, little children, because you need to know and you need to be reminded that your sins are forgiven by his name's sake. And it's by that, that forgiveness of sins, that union with Christ, that you yourself know the Father and Jesus, and, uh, Jesus Christ whom he has sent. He also writes to the fathers. These are people that John is writing to that have lived the Christian life for a very, very long time. He's writing to people who have wrestled with the uh, spiritual immaturities of those who are new to the faith. He's, dealt, he's writing to people, as far as fathers go, who have undergone the battle against the flesh, the devil, and uh, the desires of this world. The sort of strong young men that he's writing to in uh, verses, in verses uh, 13 and 14. So they have the years of experience, as it were... To, to know how to live the Christian life, to deal with sin and temptation as it comes. And for that, he says, it's because you have, and it's, he characterizes them as such as those you have known uh, because you know him who is from the beginning. They've known the Lord Christ from the beginning and know him personally and know him experientially and have lived their whole Christian lives in light of that reality. The third audience that he writes to are the young men. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. And again in verse 14, I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. The young men that he's writing to are characterized as men who, have, who are not necessarily new to the faith, but they're not quite old enough to have the complete spiritual maturity of those who have walked with the Lord a very long time. They have undergone many of the, the uh, circumstances and trials of life that would almost seem to seek to weaken them, to lead them astray, and to uh, Satan's darts are constantly being thrown in and about them all throughout the remainder of their lives. It's 
like Isaiah says in his, in his book in the Old Testament, talking about young men there. Even young men stumble and fall, but those who trust in the Lord will have their strength renewed. So even young men have to constantly be reminded of uh, who they draw strength from to have him say, you have overcome the evil one. Presently, overcome Satan, the evil one. And in verse 14, he actually tells them how it is that they have overcome the evil one. It's because you were strong. And it's not a strength that is necessarily native to themselves. It's a strength that it's, he conjoins as though he's saying, and it's the word of God that abides in you. That you have overcome the evil one. It's be, you, I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome now and again and will again still overcome the evil one. Because the strength that they have, the strength that you have, are, is from the power of God. It's from the spirit of God that dwells richly in you as he ministers to you through his word and anchors you there by it. He himself is where you draw your strength. Now, I have said on many occasions that I used to play football. Um, and when I played, at most I ever lifted was about 180 pounds in bench presses and about 350 or 400 pounds in, in squats. It was like a strength where you put weight on your back and you'd squat down and so build lower body strength. And so one of the things that you have to have in weightlifting is a spotter. Somebody that when the weight becomes too heavy, they can be behind you or over, over you and making sure you don't drop weights on yourself and, and severely hurt yourself. In many ways, I mean, I don't want to say that God is the spotter for your life or anything like that, but there is a time in our lives in which the trials and tribulations of this world are too heavy for us to bear alone. And there are times where you and I will probably forget that the, the Christian life that we live doesn't come from any native power of our own, but from the power of God, from his word through, that he ministers to us through his spirit. The reason why we're able to live the Christian life at all is because the Lord enables you to do so. It's not, again, from anything native in you, not wrought by you. I mean, for anything with the trials and difficulties of the present world today. They're oftentimes so much that, you know, we would rather just lock ourselves in the house and stay in bed all day. At least I would. Um, at least speaking for myself. The reality is that the trials and tribulations that accompany this world are promised to us by the Lord himself. But he also says in John's gospel, be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. And it's because of that he can say... You will and are able to, by my power and by my righteous right hand, able to live the Christian life. To be able to make the prayer that he makes in the uh, Lord's Prayer and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so when Satan does tempt you and lead you astray, you can say, well, I'm not with John or the uh, uh, Apostle James. I don't let anybody say that I'm being tempted of God. Because I'm not. My power to resist temptation, my power to resist it, 
comes from God and His Word alone. And so it's by that that you are enabled to live in this world, that you know that your spiritual strength is drawn only from the Lord Himself. Now the second thing that we'll consider is not simply that uh, we should know that the Lord helps us, but we also need to know that we are not to love the world. In chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, it's because... Uh, our strength to live in the world comes from the Lord that we also, he can give us therefore the command in verse 15 to 17, not to love the world. Now, uh, I, I believe many of you have read the Gospel of John before. And I believe that you have probably read John 3.16 before. Uh, I believe you know that it reads, For God so loved the world... That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever should believe on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, he says that. And that God loved the world. But here in verse 15, he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. In fact, in the uh, original text, the, the, the force of this negative here is with the most emphatic force. Do not love the world. Do not love the world or the things in it. So how do we reconcile that? Well, in John chapter 3, when he says, For God so loved the world, he's writing in such a way, or speaking in such a way, rather, that he's talking about the world in its guilty, sinful state. It's even while we were sinners that Christ died for us. It's out of his love that he sends his son to die for us on the cross. So in a real way, God does love the world and all who in the world come to know him uh, by faith. But how John is using the same word and the same idea here to say don't love the world, don't set your affections upon it. He's talking about it in terms of a world order. He's talking about it in terms of the kingdom of Satan. He is talking about it in terms of the one who of the kingdom that has been dealt a decisive blow by Christ coming into the world, living and dying and being raised again. And we can come to that sort of conclusion by how he sort of describes it. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, these things are not from the Father, but is from the world. These desires are respectively different. That when he says the desires of the flesh, he's talking about things that you love, pursue, that are, you might would describe fleshly, pursuing wealth for wealth's sake, or Pursuing to, or like uh, living in such a way as you say with Frank Sinatra in his song, I Did It My Way. Building your own kingdom, the pride of life, lusting and desiring and coveting all those things which the world has to offer, the desires of the eyes. Things which are beautiful to the eyes, things that we covet, things that we pursue. Are things that he says in verse 17 here are passing away. And it's the love of these things, the having one's affections for these things, 
that he leads him to say uh, this love for the world means that the love of the Father is not in him, is not in the ones who love the world and everything in it. Throughout the epistle uh, in 1 John, he characterizes people who say one thing and do another. In verse 6, he says, if we say we have fellowship with Christ, though we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. It's those who say we, we are holy, we are Christ, but don't live that way. The reason why they live and have really a heart desire for worldly things is because of what he says here in verse, six, uh, verse 15. The love of the Father is not in them to begin with. That's the heart of the issue. Now, it's not to say that pursuing a nice career, a nice retirement, good things for your kids and grandkids is wrong in and of itself. That's not what he's saying. But it's where your first love is, your primary love is, that is what is not of the Father. Because our love for the things of Christ is to love Christ himself and to love his kingdom, to do his will. Jesus says you can't serve God and mammon. You can't have two masters. And if you love the world in this present evil order, you do not have the love of God. And it's these things that he says are passing away in verse, uh, verse 17. And the world is passing away with its desires. It's this ongoing nature. It's, it's now in the present passing away. It's going away. And it's going to continue going, the, going away until Christ comes again. He, Satan and his kingdom has been dealt such a decisive blow that it no longer has dominion over you. And it would behoove us not to let ourselves be reigned and dominated by it. That world is what we're not supposed to love. Setting our hearts on things that are going to be here today and gone tomorrow, material things, Things that are ultimately going to go away. If that's where our heart is, we'll go away with it. And that's what John is warning them against. He's telling them that they aren't supposed to love these things, but to also know that as they live in the world, the Lord enables them to live in this world. And he says in verse 17 to support that, but whoever, anyone who does the will of God abides forever. Remains forever, you could read it that way. Walks with the Lord forever in the splendor of His holiness and majesty. Those of us who, those of us who are enabled by the Lord to live in this world are enabled to do so because of the Spirit of God working in us today. So we don't love the world. And we recognize and live in the knowledge that he is going to enable us to live here and not also love the world. So we can't get caught up then in valuing 
what the world values. Valuing what the world values in terms of how the economy is going to be tomorrow, who sits in the White House tomorrow or next year. None of that is going to ultimately make or break it. The kingdom of Christ, as it continues forward, is going to put all of these worldly powers to death. It's going to make them an open spectacle, and they will ultimately pass away. We can't get caught up in these things because if this is where we tru truly lay our hearts, if that is truly where we what we value, then we will pass along with it. And so we have to know that in turn... With respect to being able to resist that, to live in this world, he enables us to do it. And that's the part of the other thing. You are able to do it. As you live the Christian life, you are probably at times going to say through disease, sickness, financial hardship, or anything like that, are going to say at some time in your life, I can't do it. And at one level, no, you can't. But he gives you the grace and the power to do it. He enables you to do it. Because as we saw in verse 14, you are strong because the word of God abides in you. And that's where you draw your strength. You can live the Christian life, but only by the power of the Spirit. You can resist following the values of this world and present order by the Spirit who dwells richly in you. So it is like in some ways learning how to ride a bike and driving a car for the first time. If you can do that through the help of your parents, how much more are you able to live the Christian life by the help of your Heavenly Father? Are you willing to follow Him today? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this, your word. We pray that you will bless us by it, that we may commit ourselves to you and recognize that it is only by your power that we can live and move and have our being. And we pray all these things in Christ's dear name. Amen.